The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Is it possible that you, yes you, see a ghost at least once a week? Maybe once a month? Is it possible that ghosts surround us in the most unlikely of places? And then we take a look at the bizarre conspiracy theory that says, is music, all music, actually damaging to the human soul? Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. To another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, David Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day too. I hope you guys are having tons of fun doing whatever you're doing. We got a ton of stuff to cover, so first off, running into Dead Rabbit Command. Everyone get on your feet and give it up for August. Woohoo, yeah, we! <laughs> August is doing a little jig, dancing around, dancing to the beat. Dancing to the beat. Keep dancing. August, you're going to be our captain, our pilot this episode. If you guys can't support the show financially, actually, August August actually came out with Brady. August and Brady came out and saw me. You're like, who's Brady? Well, if you listen to yesterday's episode, you know who Brady is. Brady and August came out to see me give a presentation at the Port Gamble Ghost Conference, and that was really, really awesome. It was pretty much a packed house. And Brady and August had to fight their way in. I saw him, I saw him outside spraying... Other people with mace, just so they could get a good seat. But they came out to see me at the Port Gamble Ghost Conference. It was great. So, August, you're going to be our captain, our pilot this episode today. If you guys can't support the show financially, or if you guys can't come out to live shows, I totally understand. I really, really do. Just help spread the word about Dead Rabbit Radio. That helps out so much. Tell your friends, tell your family, tell everyone you know. Dead Rabbit Radio is your favorite paranormal show. Let's go ahead and get this party started, August. Go ahead and put on that flight suit. August, I'm going to toss you the keys to the Dead Rabbit Dirgeable. Everyone climb on board. Everyone's favorite blimp, the bunny blimp. I guess, that, I guess we could have been calling it that all this time. We're getting aboard the Dead Rabbit Dirgeable, a.k.a. the bunny blimp. You're like, what? I was wondering what a dirgeable was. You can never figure it out. Climb on board. August, take us up into the wild blue yonder. We're leaving behind Dead Rabbit Radio Command. Fly us all the way out to Texas. We're in South Texas now. We're walking around. The story took place a couple years ago. We don't really have a firm time period or a general location. South Texas, that's pretty big. But we do know what time this happened. And <laughs> maybe join a 24-hour time cycle. This happened at 1 a.m. In South Texas, there's a young couple, we're going to call the woman Sally, and her husband, we'll name him Boris. They're at home, and Boris is like, oh my god, oh, and he's like rolling around in bed. And Sally's like, honey, what is it? And he's like, oh, oh, my groin. August is like, damn it, I don't want to be on this episode. Too late, August. August, you already flew, flew us out here. Oh, my groin. He's grabbing his groin. Oh, no, but it hurts to even grab. Oh, and he's just kind of rolling around in bed. And Sally's like, oh, not again. <laughs> not again. Oh, it's the groin pain Tuesdays. That's what we call them in this house. Boris is suffering from severe groin pain, which are any combination of those three words is terrible. Severe pain's bad. Groin pain, I mean, even if severe or not, is bad. Although groin pain was actually a sitcom in the late 80s starring uh, Kirk Cameron. Severe groin, that's still pretty gnarly. Bad combination all around. So Sally has to drive her husband to a what she describes as a local community hospital. So I don't know if that's like a Med 7. That's what they called him out in California. It was just kind of like a clinic. Or it could just be a small town, small town hospital. And she's making <laughs> sure she stops at all the stoplights. He's like, ah, my groin. She's like pulling up. She's ordering some food. They're like, it'll be 15 minutes for the French fries. She's like, oh, I can wait. He's like, ah. 
She's taking in her dry cleaning eventually <laughs> as she's snickering. She's like, hee, hee, hee. She eventually does get into the emergency room or, or the best equivalent at the small community hospital. Again, I don't know if it's an actual hospital. They, to, <laughs> listen, if I had severe groin pain, I'd be like, you can put me on a jet. You can fly me across the country to the best medical establishment in the world. I would want the best treatment available. I'd be like waking doctors up in the middle of the night. Takes him to the local hospital. He goes in to get evaluated by doctors. So Susan, I mean, we've all been on both sides of this, right? I think pretty much all of us at some point have been in the hospital or in the emergency room. And we've also been the dude in the waiting room. You're just kind of sitting there looking at magazines, like old issues of Time magazine. You're all, Nelson Mandela's dead. What? Wow, it's Mandela effect three times over. You're looking through like old issues of like National Geographic. They're all talking about the building of Mount Rushmore. You're like, oh man, it sure is over budget. I hope they get it done. And then like television's on. But it's one in the morning, so I can't imagine anything worse than being stuck in a hospital waiting room. And the only thing on is infomercials. You're like, oh, I should get a ShamWell. <laughs> you have to use it to clean up all that groin blood. <laughs> so anyways, Susan's sitting there in this waiting room. And eventually, you know, people are going to kind of filter in and out of this. It is so late at night. It's not a ton of people. Well, this young woman walks in. And she's wearing a cervical collar. That big, white, fuzzy thing. That you put around your neck when you can't move your neck too much. I've been in a couple of car accidents. I've had those. But anyways, she walks in with one of those and sits down. And Sally and the woman kind of look at each other and smile. You go, hey. You know, being the plate. And eventually conversation starts up. They kind of just start chatting with each other. The woman goes, you know, I hope it's not a really long wait. And my neck's really, really bothering me. And Sally's like, oh, well, I think my husband, I think my husband's a little more urgent than your neck. And Sally's like, oh, yeah, what happened? She's like, yeah, I was in a car accident. I actually just moved down here from Florida. And I got a car accident last week. It's a pretty violent car accident. I got T-boned and, you know, everything's just kind of stiff and wanted to get it checked out. Maybe uh, get some pain medication, right? She didn't say that part. <laughs> I'm that part. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's what I do. My neck hurts. Drug me up. Give me the trank right through the vein. And they're talking, just chatting, right? And then eventually the nurse who's working at, like, the receptionist area overlooking this waiting room, she walks out and she walks over to Sally and the woman in the neck brace. And she looks at Sally, and then she looks at the woman sitting down with a neck brace, and then she looks back over at Sally and goes, is everything okay? And Sally goes, yeah, everything's fine. We're just, we're just talking. And that's when the nurse says to Sally, there's no one in here but me and you. And at that point, Sally turns and looks, and she sees the young woman sitting there with a neck brace around her neck smile, and then slowly fade away. She was a ghost. <laughs> if you didn't get it, you're like, what? Teleporter? Wow, Jason. The show's gotten really advanced. Sci-fi. She's a ghost. She was a ghost. And this simple, you know what's interesting? Because on the one hand, it seems, it's a very simple ghost story. And it seems almost too simple. But there's some nuggets we can pull out of this story that we've seen in other ghost accounts and, th and this is super interesting i think probably the the biggest thing that i've seen happen over and over again in a lot of these ghost stories we covered one recently about a little i, th I think it was a little girl walking down the street with her mom and there was this kindly old man sitting on the steps of a house and she would talk to him all the time on her way to her grandma's house. Her mom and this little girl would walk to grandma's house, and along the way there was an old man sitting on the stairs. And eventually she came to find out through, you know, her mom telling her and her grandmother showing this little girl a photo that that was actually the ghost of her grandpa who had died before she was born. Like, she described the man to the grandma, and the grandma was like, oh my god, oh my god, that's Charlie, or whatever his name was. 
And she shows the little girl a photo and it was a man. And once she was informed it was a ghost, never saw him again. And there's a lot of stories like that. It's super interesting as far as what is the phenomenon. Because just like this story, when she was confronted with reality, when Sally was told there's no one sitting next to you, she turned and she looked and the woman disappeared. It's almost like you know as a fact ghosts do not exist. That is what we are told in our culture. That is what we are told in our textbooks, that ghosts do not exist. So when you are told you are talking to something that does not exist, it's like your brain is shutting off access to that. Because you know it's not real. Your brain just goes click. And you can no longer perceive her. Because you know that ghosts aren't real. It's super interesting part of the phenomenon because most other experiences aren't like that. If you're getting ready to eat some pancakes and some guy goes, those pancakes aren't real, bro. And you look down, you're like, no, he's all covered in syrup. Pancakes are coming out of his mouth, falling all over his beard. He goes, I'm not real. If someone told you something that, who, what are you about to eat? There's nothing on your plate. You would look down, you go, I'm about to eat this entire plate of pancakes. Most observations, pretty much every other observation, is like that. Someone who doesn't believe in ghosts at all could have still perceived her. We don't even know if Sally believes in ghosts before, probably after this event. Because you're just seeing a human walk in. And we're all used to seeing humans walk into a room and sit down. We would totally all perceive that. But... Once you are confronted with the idea that this is a ghost, you are now being informed that you're the only person sitting in the waiting room, your brain has a safety switch. It has a governor on it and it says, nope, you can't experience reality like this. Click. And they fade away. Even someone who never believed in ghosts would see that woman walk in and sit down. I'm wondering what would happen to someone who 100% believed in life after death. And ghosts. There's a lot of people who believe in life after death that don't believe in ghosts. But would they have been like, look over, they see her there. And because they're, and I'm not talking, not even someone like me. Like someone who spends their entire life doing this type of stuff. Paranormal researchers. I wonder if when they're confronted with the knowledge that this girl doesn't exist. Would they be able to perceive her for longer? Because I think even me, someone who's, I'm not a paranormal expert by any means, but a paranormal researcher, if I was confronted with the fact that the person I just spent the last few minutes with talking, because see, the nurse saw something was wrong. She just saw Sally talking to nobody. So that's why she came out, you know, they are in hospital after all, make sure this woman doesn't need to be admitted as well. Sally came out. Would a, it would have freaked me out, right? Even as a paranormal researcher, if a nurse came up to me and says, uh, you're talking to yourself, and I turned and I looked, I think that would, there would be a shock. Even though I do believe in ghosts, even though I've had ghost encounters, I've interacted with ghosts, among other things, other supernatural entities in my life, I don't expect to, generally I go in with the knowledge like that's a ghost, or I see something and I go, that's not real. That's not a real person I'm looking at. This would be completely fooled. You were hoodwinked. I think that I would be shocked. I think, that she would fade away, but someone who's a professional ghost investigator, someone like Pete Orby, I, I really need to find out how to pronounce his name, but he's the guy who ran the um, Port Gamble Ghost Conference. He does ghost tours like nine months out of the year up in that town. He does a lot of ghost investigation stuff. I wonder if someone like him, who has been at it for a long time, professional if he would be able to experience the phenomenon a little bit longer, I think, too, though, it's the shock of finding out that that's not a real person. But we do see that happen. We do see people seeing a real entity, or you think it's a real human. I see this story happen quite often, actually. I mean, it's not the most common thing, but it's also not exceedingly rare when someone's talking to a ghost, they don't know it's a ghost. When they're informed that person has passed away or when they're informed that that person's not really sitting there a third party can't see him it disappears very very interesting phenomenon as far as that goes and there was something else here that i thought oh yeah and this is the thing we've talked about on past episodes as well most famously the episode about 
the ghost who bought a refrigerator for her mom. I'll put that episode in the show notes. I can't summarize that episode really any more than that sentence. But I wonder how often we see ghosts and don't know it. Because again, like, let's say Sally was sitting in here. She was talking to this woman briefly, or maybe not at all. Say the woman sat down and Sally smiled at her. The woman smiles at Sally. And then Sally goes back to watching ShamWow commercial at one in the morning. And then Boris comes out of the doctor's office. And he goes, I'm all, I'm all done. My groin pain's gone. It's all gone. And he's doing a little dance. He's doing a little dance. And now he's just kind of showing off. The doctor's like, oh, don't push your luck there, buddy. He's all doing the worm. He's all dancing, break dancing on the ground. Uh, okay, I guess I'll see you back here in uh, about 12 hours, son. When your groin explodes. <laughs> well, anyways, and then Sally and Boris leave. Sally probably wouldn't realize if you asked Sally, hey, did you see anyone at the waiting room? It was such a brief encounter. She she might say, yeah, I saw a woman come in, a young woman come in with a neck brace. Or she might not remember at all. All she did was look and smile. But the fact is, is that had the encounter, had she been interrupted before the nurse came over, if Boris had come out and be like, let's go, baby, head on out. And she leaves, even if they did exchange a couple words. She's like, yeah, you know, I just moved out from Florida, got in a car accident. Oh, yeah. And then before the nurse could be alerted that these this woman's talking to herself, that's as far as the nurse could tell, Sally leaves. Sally would have no idea she talked to a ghost. And it makes you wonder how often we in, interact with ghosts on a, I don't want to say daily level, but like I said in the intro, maybe monthly. Especially if you're going out a lot. Like, if you just hang out at home all the time and you get up to go to the bathroom and you see, like, a woman standing in your hallway wearing a neck brace, you would obviously go, oh, that's that's not supposed to be there. That's a ghost. But if you were walking around town, if you were shopping at a local mall or sitting in a Starbucks or whatever, and you see someone walk by, forget the neck brace, just you see somebody walk by the window and kind of, they kind of look into the Starbucks and they just kind of keep walking through the area. You would not know that that was a ghost. You would never know. I mean, unless they're really eye-catching, unless they're like kind of skulking <laughs> Starbucks. You go to Starbucks, there's a seven-year-old girl facing the corner. She's dripping wet. There's just water dripping off of her dress and her long black hair. She's going, la, la, la. Yeah, obviously that's a ghost, right? It's the drowned ghost of a vengeful spirit. But... If you were sitting, if you're walking through, say, a bookstore, you're walking through Barnes and Noble, and you're just kind of walking down the aisles, and then you pass an aisle, and there is a little seven-year-old girl kind of looking up at one of the bookshelves, like she's looking at titles of books to pick out, and you just pass that aisle as well. You have no idea that's a ghost. You would, it would never even occur to you. And if you came back that way and she was gone... You wouldn't go, where'd she, where'd she go? Where'd she go? Was it go? No, you would have just, again, you probably wouldn't even register in your brain. Just think about all the information we filter out. Not register in your brain because your brain is a safety mechanism. You just see a girl standing in an aisle. You don't really think about it. And even if she did catch your eye and you keep walking, if you came back five minutes later and she was gone, you would assume she just went somewhere else in the bookstore. When in fact, that could be a ghost. So super interesting story. I love stories like this. They seem like a fairly simple ghost story, almost insignificant in the pantheon of ghost stories. But we find these little clues that make up this patchwork. We can connect these things to other stories we've seen in the past. Absolutely great story. I got it from Phantoms and Monsters. That's a website run by Lon Strickler. He collects a pretty good variety of awesome stories. August, let's go ahead and toss you the keys to the Carboner Copter. We are leaving behind Texas. We actually don't know what happened to Boris's groin. We can only hope for the best. August, take us up, up and away out of South Texas and fly us all the way out to a rave. I hope you guys brought your glow sticks. Dancing around. You're all sucking on a pacifier. 
How old are you, bro? That's what we did back in the 90s. I did not suck on a pacifier. That's what they did back in the 90s. Dun, 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 dun. We're looking at the glow sticks. We're moving our hands around. Dun, 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 dun. I'm up at the turntable. Dun, 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 dun. You're like, okay, we get it. We get it. We built the scene. I'm like, I haven't gotten the bridge yet. Dun, 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 Bridge, you moron. Well, anyways, I'm mixing. I'm up there on the... Up there on the turntable. And you guys are in the pit. You're feeling the music. Each note is going through the pores of your skin. You feel the music surrounding you. It feels like this comfortable embrace from a million strangers. It feels both the same and new. Music. Music. Music surrounds us. Music comforts us. But this is a really interesting conspiracy theory. I don't even know if I could classify that or as a theory. But I wanted to package it with this. I thought this was really interesting. Because we're going to talk about things that, while are seemingly normal, may have far-reaching consequences. One thing I used to do, speaking of the 90s, pull this pacifier, pull this pacifier out of my mouth. Speaking of the 90s, when I wasn't cutting up the raves with my turntable skills, back, I was known as the Time Lord. I was the master of time, a time leprechaun, some might call me. Because for whatever reason, I came in, this is a true story, you don't ever call me the Time Lord, okay, I wish, or a time leprechaun. I somehow came into the possession of two watches at the same time. I had a watch I really liked, and then I think someone gave me a gift of another watch. And I didn't know which one to wear, so I started wearing a watch on e- each wrist. Which people mocked me for all the time. They're like, what? Seriously? And I, they're like, why do you have two watches on? That's the dumbest thing ever my own parents would say. And I was like, yeah, you know, you'd be surprised the perks a man with two watches has. Because while it did leave me open to mockery, which I really didn't care. Because I wipe away, t- <laughs> wipe away my tear that my joy will return at the rave tonight. The reason why I had two watches, I don't know why I started wearing two watches, but what happened was, this was back when I worked at Mervyn's. They don't even exist anymore. It was like a clothing store. It's like a JCPenney's. And I don't even know if they exist. I had a watch, one watch on each hand, and I came up with this thing. The watch on my right hand would be about 10 minutes fast. The watch on my left hand would be 10 minutes slow. Now, in the 90s, not many people had watches. A lot of men had watches, but not all of them. None of us had cell phones. So unless you were nearby a clock or a man with two watches, you didn't really know what time it was. This is back when you would call a phone number to find out what time it was. So if I ever wanted to leave somewhere early, I would show on my right wrist and go, hey, dude, look at this, man. It's an, I would stay 10 minutes late. It's already 9, 10. I got to bounce. It's really 9. But if I wanted to stay a little bit longer or wanted someone else to stay a little bit longer, I was like, come on, look at it. It's only 8.50. So depending on which arm I should... No one ever no, no one ever picked up on this, probably because they had bigger worries. They're like, <laughs> sitting at home, the repo men are taking all of their stuff. They're like, I should find a way to pay my bills. But the bigger mystery is, why does Jason always show me his left hand? I became a time lord. I always knew exactly what time it was because the true time was in between the watches. And then I advanced. I basically became, this is when I evolved from a time leprechaun to a time lord. In my apartment back then, I had one of those cheap blue plastic clocks that people usually install in their bathrooms. It's just like, this whole thing was plastic. Even the battery inside of it was plastic. It's like a $9 clock. And I set it like 20 minutes slow. So all the time, have someone over, right? Hanging out. And they're like, I gotta go. I gotta go. <laughs> I gotta go. I gotta get ready for school tomorrow. I gotta do work tomorrow, whatever it was. We're all in college. And I go, but look, it's only 8.40. You can hang out for another 20 minutes. You can hang out for 20 Why do you want to leave so early? Are you truly a grandmother at your young age that you need to leave at 8.40? And they would go, well, yeah, well, it's only, if it's only 8.40, I don't need to leave. 
And then sure enough, later on, I would get a very, very angry phone call. being like, I got home. I was so late. <laughs> Anyways, I became a master of time. And you had to spend a lot of, ironically enough, time with me to realize what I was doing. And you go, Jason, really all you were doing was lying to people. That's all you're doing is lying to people. But here's the interesting thing. Nowadays, since the time recently fell back, we all gained an hour of time in the day for the daylight savings time. I didn't change one of my clocks over. So I'm recording this episode at 6.06, but the clock next to my workstation says 7.06. And it completely jolts me. Every so often I'll be sitting in my chair doing something, watching YouTube, wasting time, and I look over and I'm like, oh my god, it's 7 already? I got so much work to do and I'm way behind. And then I remember that it's only 6. And I feel this immediate relaxation throughout my entire body. I just gained an hour. <laughs> like, more YouTube! Click. It's the weirdest thing in the world. It totally flips you out. Your brain goes from thinking you're behind to on schedule, and it happens multiple times a day. It's totally messing with me. I have... I, I've had it for years now. I've talked about it before on the show. People go, when did it start? And I go, I don't know. It's part of the problem. I have something that's called time dysmorphia. I can't gauge the accurate progression of time. I think the smallest time limit I can actually... I don't want to say perceive, but the, the smallest amount of time I can actually really gauge is five minutes. A day feels... Like, maybe 36, 48 hours to me. And it's not people go, well, it's just because you're bored. I go, I'm incredibly busy. I'm always doing something. <laughs> Watching YouTube, maybe, sure. But no, and it's gone on for, it's gone on for decades at this point. They see it in a lot of people who have ADHD, which it's possible I have that as well. I The other thing that can cause time dysmorphia is brain damage. And considering the amount of times I got hit in the head back when I used to backyard box or just, you know, box in the street. Um, I've had a bunch of blows to the head and car accidents as well. I've had my fair share of concussions. But people go, well, when did it start? How long have you had it? And I go, I don't know. And the only thing that you can really do is that your brain eventually heals, maybe, and then you can process time normally. So I think it's from the repeated blows to the brain but I also wonder if because I was messing with the perception of time so much, I did the two watch thing for years. Or did I? <laughs> I think about it, maybe it was only one. But I remember doing it for a long time, but that doesn't mean much to me. I wonder if I messed with the process of time so much. I thought I was a time leprechaun, but it turns out maybe I'm just the time jester. And the joke's on me. That is going to segue us into this idea of music. This is interesting. This is interesting to me. Because like time, music is something that surrounds us. It is an intrinsic part of our lives. Think about a time in your life where you do not have music playing. Or a better way to say that is hearing music. Because I may be at home and I may say, you know, I'm not going to listen to Pandora today. But I'm watching YouTube videos that has music in it. Advertising has music in it. Advertising needs music. Da-da-da-da-da. I'm loving it. Liberty, 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 liberty. All that stuff, right? What's another one? I need cash now. Call J.G. Wentworth. 877-CASH-NOW. What's another one? <laughs> You're getting ready to shoot your iPod. You're like, oh, these songs are stuck in my head. Ah, There's another, like, famous... The one that gets stuck in my head the most is Liberty, 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 Liberty. It's literally four words. It's the laziest jingle ever. 
But music, it, it needs to be in our advertisement. Can't get enough of that Kit Kat bar. Give me a break. <laughs> YouTube, there you, I got, there's my three strikes, my three copyright strikes. This uh, episode and this entire channel is no longer on YouTube. Almond Joy's got nuts. Mounds don't. What would you do for a Klondike bar? Oh, yeah, I could just keep going. <laughs> Please don't. <laughs> now you're putting the gun to your own head. Oh, the madness, the madness, the noises won't stop. Music surrounds us. You go to the grocery store, it's playing in the aisles of the grocery store. You get a greeting card for a friend, you open it up. Liberty, 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 Liberty. You're like, I was wondering why this card was so cheap. It only plays advertising jingles. Surrounds us. And it's a good thing, right? And this is one of those things. This is what I love about doing this show in conspiracies. In general, really. I never thought about this. I thought about maybe one part of it, and that's what we'll see a lot of people kind of discuss and get upset about. But I never thought about the overriding thing. Our lives are surrounded by music, and I give you examples of things you really can't control. If you listen to the radio in your car and you're playing Pandora in the morning while you're getting ready for work, and then you go work at a job where you can listen to your own music, it can be wall-to-wall. I mean, you can literally, these days, we have access to music 24 hours a day. 100%. I think that started around the time of me as a kid. Like, my parents had records, but you have to get up and flip it over. I think it was really with the advent, obviously you can play the radio all day long. But with the advent of the CD, where you could put a CD in and it would play on repeat... All day long. Cassette tapes, you had to switch over. There's almost a mindlessness to it. I, actually, I'm getting ahead of myself. But really, it's only been in the past couple generations that we've been have access to this level of music. Our parents were the beginning of it. But this generation now, since the rise of the CD, and especially the rise of streaming Pandora, Spotify music, it's nonstop. This is the conspiracy theory. I find this super fascinating. It is the idea... That music is the new smoking. It's kind of what we said in the intro. A hundred years from now, 200 years from now, people are going to look back at this time period and they're going to go, what did people think was going to happen when you take something as important as music and you pump it through your body 24 hours a day? What did they think was going to happen? And you'd have little kids climbing up on grandpa's lap and being like, Grandpa, why did they put the music in their ears? And the grandpa's like, well, we were young and foolish back then. We thought you could just put these little earbuds in your body and listen to music nonstop. We didn't know how dangerous it was going to be. We start to see, because a lot of people argued about this, and they go... It's not that music is bad. It's that certain kinds of music are bad. It's this new music. It's this music made by these pop stars. My music, the music I listen to, is perfectly crafted and it's meant to be appreciated. You could surround your life with this, but I totally agree with you, original poster. You're right. Some music is awful. And that's not what he's saying. He's saying we don't know what the long-term effects are of listening to music nonstop. He said there have been no major studies, or really any studies done. I tried looking for that. The, the closest thing I could find was they did a study during COVID. They studied 700 people, I think it was in Austria and Italy, where they were seeing how music affected their mood. And they had like a check-in thing every three hours. It was this app you downloaded on your phone. It didn't say how long the participants were listening to music. But that's he's basically saying we have no longitudinal study about what happens when your brain is listening to music when you're awake. Not as a torture device, not that they're blasting Bananarama into some prison cell to make terrorists snap. It's not that. What's the long-term effect mentally? Because we know, obviously, listen too loud, you can damage your eardrums. What's the long-term effect mentally of listening to music 10 hours a day? At your convenience. You're not forced to listen to it. You can change the songs that you want. We have not done that. And what's funny is I know a lot of you are probably saying, you're, 
commenting, yeah, some music, you're right, is bad, but not the music I listen to. Some music, some of you may completely dismiss it out of hand, but he is right in the sense that there are no longitudinal studies. There's no 10-year study, because it really, we haven't been in this phase for 10 years, or we've just hit around 10 years, and I think it would show up more as kids. And here's the thing. I was saying that about it damaging the human soul. I do think there is something lost between... Again, I love music, man. I listen to music all the time. And I listen to the new stuff. My radio station is always set to 2023 pop. That's my Pandora channel. So I'm listening to like Olivia Rodrigo. I'm listening to Selena Gomez, her new stuff. I'm listening to all of these dudes Mike kid larawi i don't even know how to pronounce some of these names i listen to the new stuff i like to listen to the new stuff i like to know what's out there right now and then every so often i'll be like oh dude post malone's actually pretty dope like i wasn't into post malone until i listened to his three songs of his last album a hundred times on pandora and i was starting to get brainwashed i was like oh, he's not that bad i like the new stuff i like knowing what is coming out. I like listening to old stuff. Like I said, I listen to mostly 90s hip-hop, 90s gangster rap specifically, and then 2023 hits. Olivia Rodrigo and Dr. Dre is pretty much the bulk of my iPod stuff. It's Taylor Swift and Ice Cube. So, I like to listen to the new stuff. I don't think it's slop. I think some of it sucks. I think some music of every year sucks. But he's not even saying it has nothing to do with the quality of the music. Is music the new smoking? And this guy, he's an anonymous post, but I thought his his theory was interesting. He said that, because I never thought of this stuff, right? I love music. Never thought of this stuff. He said music is one of the strongest mental stimuli available, which is true. You can immediately be brought back to any point in time by listening to music. Uh, the sense is the number one uh, sense that actually plays the most on like memory. But number two is auditory. You can listen to a song and you can remember where you were the first time you heard it. Not all the time, but sometimes, right? You can be like, sometimes you can go, oh, I, I, this reminds me of my high school. This reminds me of senior year. Remember like this song playing on the quad or whatever. May not even be a song you particularly like, but we associate strong memories with music. He goes, music is one of the strongest mental stimuli available. It wells up emotions in us like no other. A song can break you into tears. It can enrage you. A song can make you feel like you're loved. It can give you that warm embrace. And he goes, here's the thing. We, it's one of the strongest stimuli possible, and we are listening to it nonstop. Each generation seems more and more in this cycle of more and more music. Like, at this point, there is simply zero break from it. I can hit a button, I wake up, I turn on my Pandora, and it plays for hours while I'm reading the news research and stories, stuff like that. And this, you go, well, Jason, that's all beautiful, right? Who doesn't want to listen to music? Who doesn't want to listen to music? The argument, and this is super fascinating. I never thought of this before. Music now can be enjoyed anywhere, anytime by just you. But that's not what music was for 10,000, no, 100,000 years in the past. You only heard music on certain occasions. You were in a large group. There was a reason for the music. You were gathered there as a community to celebrate something, to mourn something. And then you listen to the music in that moment, that night. And then you went back home. And it's super interesting. I mean, we don't even have to, you could go back to like caveman times, but even if, let's jump back, say two, three hundred years. 
If you lived in rural France or somewhere in Europe, the only time you would hear music, I mean, people would hum. I don't think they'd be like, people obviously, I'm sure they hummed. I'm sure people hummed. But to hear music, not musical notes hummed or anything like that, to hear music, you went to church. So you go into church, you assemble there. There is a choir singing these songs of praise. This goes on for, I don't know, an hour. And then you leave. And the music was part of the ritual. You may have a big musical gathering at a fair or some sort of holiday celebration. You may have a traveling band of entertainers who will put up a little cart and people will come and pay and they'll all sit around and listen to the troubadours or whatever, the bards playing on their instruments. Music evolved as a societal thing to bring people together. And I think there is something lost. I think I, I agree with him. I think there is something a bit lost that when you sit down and you have the ability to listen to Music on your own, that's not what mu- music evolved as a group activity. Not just for the band, not just for the, a group of singers or a group of instrument players, for the group to hear. You all sit with each other as a community and you feel the music and the musicians feel your passion. This is give and take. I mean, we have concerts today that, you know, concerts is a big part of the music industry, but you can listen to music all day long and then go to the concert and get that feeling. And then you go back and you're just listening to that music by yourself. Now, some people listen to music with friends. I used to listen to music with friends back in the day, sit around, drink, smoke, and listen to music. But, you know, as an adult, I don't do that. You might find little groups where your family does sit around and listen to music. But it's the in-between times where you're listening to music by yourself. Does it actually do something to the human psyche? He's not saying that it's going to cause hearing loss. It's not going to have any physical issues. But you're taking something that was, in essence, designed as a group activity and then turning it into a singular activity. I I do think there is something to be said for that. It's not the quality of the music. It's the quantity of the music. Is it actually taking... Are we not getting the full benefit of it? Are we actually, in a way, getting a negative benefit from it? Is it actually... Because music is supposed to bring us together, but if we're listening to it just by ourselves all the time... And really, a lot of times... How much of it is because you find it comforting? How much of it is because you need to get hyped up for that next couple reps at the gym? And how much of it is because you're trying to drown out the noise of the world around you? You're trying to drown out your own thoughts. And that's really music evolved as a social activity. And we can use it in our own lives as a negative to drown out our own thoughts. It's an interesting question. It really is what happens when these next two generations of kids who come up in Pandora is just the thing. Where will their brains be, the brain developmentally? Not not physically, but just meant like their mental capacity. Where will they be when they're 50, 60? It would be, I mean, could you imagine, see, and again, could you imagine if they were able to link dementia early on? Or it, could you imagine if they were able to link dementia or some other sort of memory, like you just have a hard time having any sort of forethought, and they could link it to excessive music consumption. It's possible. It's 100% possible. We don't have a longitudinal study. Is it likely? I don't know. But you can't say, no, that's impossible. That's 100% possible because we don't know. We've never existed in a society where, I mean, again, outside of a radio, which would shut off at a certain point, right? Or you would go to talk or anything like that. And that would be interesting to see, too, because the radio is really like the, the radio, the radio as they have it 
that we think of it just the music that'd be my parents generation and you can maybe start to see some sort of cognitive decline there but imagine if that came out it would be something we wouldn't know just like smoking like you the, uh, there were people who knew who were in the industry who knew this was going on but they covered it up and the it's not like the music industry would be any more honest than any other industry out there it is a industry imagine if someone came to pandora and spotify or just all the music companies right Warner Brothers and Atlantic and all this stuff. And they go, hey, um, we did this 10-year study. We actually see there's a cognitive decline in this age group. And we were able to narrow it down to these 1,000 kids. And it seems like they were listening to too much music. Like that's... you. Do you think the music industry would be like, we got to put this out on the front page. We got, like, guys, time to pack it up. We got to stop letting people... No, they would 100% bury that like any other industry would. And it's weird. It's a hot button issue. I Music is very, very personal to people. And I'm sure as I've been discussing this, I expect to get a bunch of comments, right? And emails and, and uh, stuff saying, you know, well, yeah, you're right, but it's not my music. Or no, you're wrong. It can't be this. And who we don't know. Because not enough time has passed, but it's a super interesting idea. I've never thought of it before. Is there a possibility that overconsumption of music... And here's the thing. Anything you consume too much of. If I replaced everything I said about music with television or internet gaming, the average person would be like, oh no, I totally agree with everything you're saying. Yeah, playing too much video games would cause a cognitive decline. Playing too many video games probably does do something to the human psyche, but you replace that with something that's universally loved. I've met two people in my life, two people who told me they don't like music. And I go like, you don't like current music? And they go, no, I just don't like music. I don't, I don't like it. Super weird. Super weird. When I tell people that story out of all the stuff I tell them, they go, I have a hard time believing that. I was like, listen, man, I'm just telling you what they told me. I've met two people at two separate points in my life who said they do not listen to music. They don't like it. Out of thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people I've met. First off, I wonder how many of those were ghosts. That might have been the two people they were ghosts. It's so universally loved. If I changed out the word music with pretty much anything else, people would be like, oh no, I totally agree with that. But you say music, we don't know if music would have a long-term effect on the human psyche. People get defensive about that. And going back to the talent thing, I think that we may, this may be coming to a head in another thing because we've moved away from being able to get a guitar, right? You play the guitar, you learn how to play the guitar well, and then you join a band or you become a singer-songwriter with your guitar. That's evolved into being able to sit behind a keyboard and simulate a guitar perfectly. Now you can be an entire orchestra with a keyboard, which still takes a level of talent. It does. I'm not knocking that at all. I used to work with a producer back when I did music. He's the guy who does the music for the podcast. His name is Simple. He did things with that keyboard I never thought. I mean, he was just creating masterpieces. It's better than that. And you're like, wow, Jason, sure is good. That takes a level of skill. Then you can use programs like Fruity Loops where you can literally just use the keys of your keyboard to lay out a song and make like a beat, make an EDM beat. I know a couple guys who've done that. That still takes a level of talent. You can take the instrument and keep breaking it down into parts where now you have a guy with a drum pad going, that still takes a level of talent. I'm not diminishing any of that stuff. And then at that point, you still, you try to craft an entire song or you get a vocalist to be on it. Or maybe you can do it yourself and you become a rapper. Putting stuff up on SoundCloud, I'm not diminishing any of that. That is all still talent. That is all still hard work, just like the guy with the guitar. But we are now in a new age. A new age is starting right now, which will take zero talent. Because the apps are coming out where I can sit down and using AI can say, write me a symphony that sounds like Beethoven. And it will craft this music for you. Now you've removed all human interaction. Because the guy who's making the beats, 
The guy who's playing with Fruity Loops, the guy who's playing on his keyboard, the guitarist. They're all crafting music to share or to sell or to distribute, to get it out there. But now I can sit in with zero human interaction with no human ever hearing it but me. I can type in AI and say, craft me a symphony in the style of Beethoven. And this song will be expertly performed by seemingly human controlled instruments. You know, it'll sound like a guy's on the tuba. It'll sound like a girl's on the violin. It'll sound like a man on an oboe. But it's an entire orchestra. And the only person who's going to hear it is me. It will never be duplicated in the AI algorithm either. Someone else asked for a symphony the style of Beethoven, they're going to hear a different musical composition than what I got. You will be able to craft the music you exactly want for any given moment throughout the day. And it'll be music only for you. You will completely remove the social aspect. And in this case, even the band you're listening to on Pandora, they got together to perform that song, to record it, while an engineer sat in the other room and was hitting buttons. Maybe their friends are in the back kind of bobbing their head as this track is being recorded. Even if you're listening to a solo artist on SoundCloud, you're listening to that same song with thousands or hundreds of thousands or millions of other people, that same song, they've heard it before and they'll hear it after you. That's at least a little bit of a social connection still. That little tiniest of thread will be severed when I can type in a few sentences and have a song, no, an entire discography crafted just for me. Music is very important to the human soul. It is a landmark in human evolution and the development of people, of civilization. Music is incredibly important. But sometimes the more important something is, the more dangerous it can become. And that danger may already be here. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash DeadRabbitRadio. TikTok is at DeadRabbitRadio. DeadRabbitRadio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day. I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great week.